it's time to raise the roof for our 17th offseason. Every time I do this, I keep forgetting what the number is. I'll figure it out soon, but I think it's our 17th offseason podcast. We've been doing a lot of these. Uh, this one uh, is, I guess, if you want to consider it like our spring training preview, because the season obviously isn't close enough to, to being here. But this is, I guess, if you want to consider it our spring training preview episode. We have a very special guest, which I will get to in just a second. Uh, me and Evan are here. Gibby isn't here because he lost his voice. Well, I'm going to assume that he probably lost his voice as a result of the Bucks parade. I'm just going to call it at that because I'm just going to assume that's what it was. Uh, and then... Uh, we have Bree back again as uh, as one of our co-hosts. Bree, quickly, how you doing? How's everything gone? I'm good. How are you guys? You know, we're making it through. We're the, the spring training is coming <laughs> up soon. Pitches and catches are coming up soon, which we're really really excited about. Uh, and now, quickly to our special guest, uh, he previously covered the Rays in uh, I think from you said from 2010 to 2014, somewhere around there, just within that within that period of time. Uh, an alum of the University of Florida, also just covered. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates for MLB.com from 2015 to 2020. And he was there. That means he was in Pittsburgh when the Chris Archer trade happened. So technically we can consider this as the Rays getting our guest back along with everyone else in the trade, including Archer now. Uh, uh, Adam Barry, the current uh, Rays beat reporter for MLB.com. Adam, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, so you're back now. You're, or I mean, you just told us you're in, you're in Pittsburgh right now. So obviously you're not hundred percent back yet, but you will be back soon. Uh, how nice is it to be back on the beat? Uh, I know obviously a lot of us loved Juan Toribio. Did you have any conversations with him uh, as he was leaving just about some things that you guys were discussing when it came to just, you know, just like back and forth between you guys. Did you have any conversations before he left? I think for a couple of weeks, I had nothing but conversations with Juan as we were <laughs> kind of working through these, uh, these beat changes that were happening at MLB.com. Uh, he's, I've said that he's following the Andrew Friedman path from the Rays to the Dodgers, um, and I'm coming back home to, to cover the Rays where I was, like you said, from uh, 2010 and then more from 12 to 14. Uh, it's home for me. Uh, I was born and raised in Clearwater. Uh, grew up watching the Rays, uh, so this is very much a homecoming for me, which I'm very much looking forward to, and not just because, like you said, I'm in Pittsburgh where it is currently snowing and uh, winter snowstorms coming in. So really looking forward to getting back, looking forward to spring training, and uh, looking forward to being back on the Rays beat. Yeah, definitely. I do want to ask you this as an unbiased opinion, since you're from Clearwater is I'm going to call it bright house field. Cause I don't like calling it spectrum field is bright house field. The best stadium in spring training. It, I at love least in that. Florida. I love that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, that's actually right down the street from where I grew up. So I'm okay. probably, I'm probably biased. You're, you're looking for an unbiased opinion. You're not getting one here. Uh, I still call it bright house field as well. I love it. I love the outfield grass situation. Uh, I love like the Frenchies uh, Tiki deck out in oh, left love, field. I think it's, it's a great, it's a great place to go watch a, a spring training game or a Florida state league game or whatever they're calling it now game down in the, in the minor leagues. Yeah. I, I well, I'm actually from South Jersey. So I, I grew up a Phillies fan and the rest of my family are Phillies fans. So I've had many of experiences going down to bright house for games. So I absolutely love that place. I just, I mean, since you're from the area, I just wanted to ask about it. You know. I'm old enough to where I grew up going to their, uh, their previous spring training. Oh, Jack, Jack Russell. Russell stadium or whatever. Yeah. yeah that was, I, uh, there's pictures of me as a child at like birthday parties at Jack Russell stadium, watching that's the awesome. Clearwater Phillies or whatever. Yeah. I'm dating awesome. myself with that, but yeah, <laughs> I went there in Oh three. That was it. Okay. So yeah. Uh, a big fan of that ballpark last year for sure but I guess I guess first thing uh that I wanted to talk about with you and I wanted everyone uh, to talk about here so the Rays just signed a couple starting pitchers and or relief pitchers I don't know how they're going to use them but uh Rich Hill and Colin McHugh 
they I know that the McHugh thing was something that was at least in talks for a day or two before he ended up signing. I think it was 1.8 million for the signing one year. And then they ended up signing Rich Hill for, I think, somewhere around 2.5 mil. So in total, I think it was 4.3 mil between the two guys. I wanted to get um, everyone's opinions on what they thought about the signings, how the Rays are going to utilize these guys and what this means for the rotation, because these are two older veteran arms that they're now bringing into, uh, I would say, a pretty young rotation that they have going on. When do you want to go first here? I'll, I'll let you guys go, and then I'll, I'll react Ev- to that. Yeah, Evan, Evan, you start. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, Rich Hill, I like, I like both of them. Just, I mean, we need pitching depth, I think. Um, Rich Hill, sure, he's, what, almost, he's, I think, 40, almost 41. Um He's a veteran. He kind of replaces Morton in that aspect. We don't really have that veteran leadership that we had before we signed Rich Hill. Um, our rotation was very young. So I like that aspect. And just he brings a lot of experience, a lot of just a lot of leadership that this team didn't really have after we lost Morton. Um, but I mean, he was pretty good last year. He didn't really pitch a whole lot last year, I don't think. Um, and then McCune, I, I mean, or McHugh, I think that's how you pronounce the name. Um, I also like him. Um, I could definitely see him coming out of the bullpen, though. Maybe even Rich Hill, too, since he's kind of older. Maybe save his arm. Maybe make him come out of the bullpen. Maybe bring him, like, first to th- – I, mean, I don't know. Cash is going to do something weird, I feel like, with these pitchers because it's just kind of a – you can do a lot of things with this rotation and with the amount of arms we have. So it'll be cool to see what weird thing he pulls out. Um, maybe a new kind of version of the opener where he has an opener from, like, the first two innings, maybe the first three innings. I don't know. But it's going to be cool to see. Uh, Bree, what were your thoughts about the two signings? I love the Rays front office so much. I think it's hilarious how many pitchers we have. I think it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> basically, I'd be shocked if we actually had just a regular five-man rotation with the same five guys going every day. That's, I mean, the Rays are not traditionalists. They're not going to do that. I mean, we're probably going to see maybe like Glass now, Archer, Yarbrough. But then like after that, it's kind of just who fits in, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I love the depth because, you know, last year towards the end of the playoffs, um, our guys started getting pretty tired. We kind of saw that with Anderson, especially. Now we have a lot more of those bulk inning guys that can kind of help ease those burdens a little bit. And plus this um, 162 game season following such a short one with kind of an interrupted spring training there is a likelihood that there are going to be a lot more injuries than there were previously last season. So um, just having that added depth, I think gives the Rays a huge advantage over teams like the Yankees or the Blue Jays that don't really have that kind of depth. Yeah. I think that's really the biggest point to all of this is that nobody necessarily has a good answer for how you handle pitchers workloads going from 60 games to 162 games. And, you know, you can try to do a six man rotation. You can try to get the most proven arms possible, um, the raised solution seems to be throwing their depth at it and then acquiring more depth on top of that. And so you're not looking at, like Bree said, you're not looking at a five-man rotation. You're probably not even looking at a six-man rotation. You could be looking at some, you know, Voltron com- combination of a eight to 10-man rotation where everybody throws 100 innings or, you know, eight to 10 guys throw on average of 100 innings. You know, maybe Rich Hill throws 80, but you're getting Rich Hill's best 80 innings, which we've seen in the recent past, Rich Hill's best 80 innings are really good. And that's what you want out of a guy like that. And maybe Glass now and Yarbrough throw more. And maybe Archer's capable of throwing more coming back from uh, the thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. But 
at this point, they're kind of trying to combat the uncertainty uh, with depth. And I think they have that not only now in the veteran uh, pitchers they've acquired, and I should note as we're recording this, that those signings are still pending physicals. And there are physical questions with both of those guys, given their injury history the last couple of years. Um, but they're trying to account for all of that and the uncertainty with Archer and the uncertainty with maybe Michael Waka coming off of the seasons that he's had with the depth that they have internally as well, because, you know, Eric Neander has said that this could be a transition year for the rotation, uh, but you want to make sure that you have something there to bridge the gap so that you're not just throwing Luis Patino and Josh Fleming and Shane McClanahan and Brendan McKay when he's healthy right into the fire, that you have these guys to kind of bridge the gap there. And you can do it by easing these guys into three or four inning roles or, you know, two or three inning roles. Like, like you said, maybe, you know, somebody, a traditional starter is an opener for two or three innings instead of one inning. And, you know, then you bring in the bulk guy behind that. They've just given themselves so many options. I mean, I didn't even mention Trevor Richards and some of these other pitchers they have that can go multiple innings. So many options to try to combat the uncertainty and the potential injuries and just the workload uh, issues they're going to run up against. And uh, I think it's a really creative way to going about that. You still wonder if you would like to have that kind of proven ace type pitcher atop the group, even if it was somebody more like a Charlie Morton, obviously, you know, just somebody who you could be maybe count on to go out there and eat innings uh, once every five days. But uh, I think what they've done, and I've heard from other people around the industry, is like, hey, this is a really creative very raised solution to this problem that the entire industry is facing. Um, and, you know, there's risk. There's always going to be risk. There's uncertainty. But uh, I think they've given themselves a lot of margin for error, which is pretty hard to do given the payroll that they're running. Um, but they've certainly managed to do that from, from the arms that they've gone out and acquired and the arms they're going to bring up behind them. Yeah, I was curious about the about that thing. I, I know that it was something at least that I think I saw that Ken Rosenthal put a column out in the Athletic about that the Rays are considering using the that eight to ten pitcher, you know, or having eight to ten pitchers throw somewhere, you know, around eighty to one hundred innings. Is that uh, well? Well, a are we expecting them to use that strategy in twenty twenty one? And with that being said, if they end up using the strategy, how effective is it going to be uh, to allow guys to or, or to have a lot more guys that I, I guess you can stretch them out a little bit more in terms of how the innings workload is going to be dispersed amongst the pitching staff. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they do it and when they do it, because I don't think they're going to come into spring training with anything set in stone saying, you know, this is the rotation. This is the way it's going to work. These are the pitchers who are going to go back to back or whatever. They're going to have options and they're going to have a lot of options so that if something goes wrong, you have uh, backup plans and contingencies behind that. Uh, that's the sense that I get is that, you know, you just bring in as many pitchers who are capable of pitching bulk innings as possible. And you see where they're, see where they're at at the end of spring, see how stretched out they are um, and see how they kind of complement each other. Because I, I mean, I think if you look at, in the ideal world where everybody's healthy, you could really have some kind of fun combinations playing off of the opener bulk plan where maybe it's, you know, Chris Archer followed by Josh Fleming. And those are two, different looks that lineups are going to have a really hard time adjusting to, or, you know, maybe it's uh, Michael Waka followed by Shane McClanahan. You know, there's just so many different options that they're going to be able to give themselves um, that I think you, you know, even if somebody isn't healthy, even if Brennan McKay doesn't come back in full strength or whatever it may be, then you still have options that you can stretch out to hundred or 120 innings safely, probably without risking too much um, and still have enough to get you through the season. Cause then, you know, you're still going to have a very raised bullpen, which is, with a ton of arms and a ton of options and guys who have options like actual minor league options not just choices um is who you can send back and forth on the durham shuttle so i think they've built 
one thing I hear a lot around the industry is that it always feels like the Rays 40 man roster has more than 40 people on it, uh, just because they're the depth and versatility they've built. And I, I think they've set themselves up pretty well for, for a similar situation here. Yeah. Uh, Bree and Evan, do you guys think, well, how likely do you think that, that they're going to end up using that, you know, having that, ha- having those eight to 10 pitchers work, you know, somewhere around 80 to hundred innings or maybe featuring more guys in and having them work within that. I think it's definitely a possibility. I don't even think they know going in. So I think that's part of it. I think they're just literally going to, you know, play matchups as much as they can, throw in who's healthy, see what everyone's doing in spring training and kind of piece it together. But we've seen it work in the past. I mean, different things work. Just whatever the Rays do works like all the time. So (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they'll start off more traditionally and then because like when, when the race started with the opener, they didn't like just start that off during this, they, like to start the season. They did that to adapt because they had a lot of pitching in, injuries and just wear the normal wear and tear that happens during the season. So I don't think we're going to start off with something like as unorthodox as an eight to 10 man kind of rotation. But if there's injuries, if pitchers aren't playing as well as they should, they thought they were going to, then I can definitely see them kind of go into a non traditional, um, eight to 10 man rotation, I guess. And I should say that I think it's probably going to look more like a traditional rotation, at least mm-hmm. at the start where it's, you know, maybe you can line up Glasnow, Yarbrough, Archer, Waka, Hill, but then you're just moving some of those extra 80 to hundred inning arms to the bullpen. And it's Trevor Richards mm-hmm. and it's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not Patino to start the season, but at some point he's one of those guys that you could bring in in that kind of role. So you're still starting pitchers on a every fifth day thing. That was something Eric Neander said about the Archer signing is that ideally he is an every fifth day guy, uh, but maybe rather than trying to run him through the lineup a third time or run him out for a sixth inning that you're not sure if his body's going to be able to control, you can bring behind him a, a Josh Fleming, not to keep using his name as an example, but somebody like that who can come in and pitch bulk innings to get you to the back end of the bullpen or cover the rest of the game. If you're, if you're losing at that point, you know, just cover those innings. So you don't have to burn your a bullpen guys. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Really. Uh, well, so I guess you know we'll see what happens with both of them, and we'll see how the pitching, you know, how the how the pitching staff and the rotation and all of that shakes out during the season. But with with spring training coming up, pitchers and catchers are reporting on the seventeenth, or hopefully when I release this, it'll be the seventeenth will be today. So uh, w- uh, regardless, when um, so obviously with pitchers and catchers reporting this week, um, there's a lot of guys I know that are non-roster invitees or guys that got minor league contracts that uh, are now joining the team. And I know the roster somewhere around 70, 75 players in that aside from the guys that are going to be, uh, you know, normal factors that are going to be mainstays on this team. Uh, Adam, who do you think are a couple players that people should watch out for that could come up at some point because I know that obviously we all want Wander to come up to start the season but that's probably just not going to happen just because of how young he is and where he's played in the minors but who are some guys that you think that are uh, the Rays are really going to focus on in terms of non-roster invitees that was one I was going to take so let me go back to my second option there um, <laughs> I mean I mean we could talk about Wander because Wander is like the easiest topic to talk about with the Rays right I was going to say real hot take keep your eyes on Wander Franco in spring training uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's why you bring on me the expert to give you great takes like that um, honestly I was looking at the list of non-roster invitees the guys that they've they signed on minor league deals as opposed to their own prospects they're bringing up and, and one name that jumped out to me um, maybe just because of my familiarity with him a little bit, is uh, Brian Moran. 
he's a left-handed reliever. He's got a pretty funky delivery, which is just a classic raise type of thing out of the bullpen, a lefty with a funky delivery. The Rays don't have a ton of left-handed depth uh, on the 40 man roster. So I don't know if he's the guy kind of guy who would crack the roster uh, coming out of opening day, but it, it seems like a perfect raise minor league signing who just, we're going to look up in September and it's like, Hey, Brian Moran's getting big outs now, I guess it's, you know, that's just a thing that's going to happen. Uh, he was one who stood out for me on, on, on that front. Uh, there's a, a bunch of guys as far as prospects go, who I think we're looking forward to seeing Xavier Edwards was on the non-roster list. Um, just players who haven't been on the field a whole lot in the last year, you know, due to the minor league season being canceled last year, uh, guys who you're just going to want to see where they're at, um, you know, how they're coming along, what changes they've made. Um, I think one of the smartest things I've heard about player evaluation in the last year is that it's really hard to scout and evaluate players and say what they are because they keep changing so much. And I think the Rays are a perfect example of that organizationally, that they develop guys and they improve players uh, so significantly that you never know what you're going to see when they show up. And another one along those lines is Brent Honeywell. We haven't seen him pitching a game in a very long time. And I think there's a chance that he plays a role for for this team this year. So uh, I believe I saw that he, or heard that he was throwing at some point, even just playing catch or whatever it may have been at the trough. Hopefully he's going to be healthy coming into spring training and able to contribute. That's a guy that I really want to see because back before all these injuries and stuff, he had such a high ceiling, you know, he had a really top pitching prospect in baseball. So that's definitely one. And then just all the guys that they brought in um, Luis Pino, obviously I've heard nothing but great things about him. I really want to see what they do with Francisco Mejia, um, both defensively the work that they do with him. And then, Maybe if they can get more out of the bat, he was such a good prospect coming up through the minors offensively and then just hasn't been that guy uh, in the majors in the brief time that we've seen him. So uh, I'm really curious to see the kind of work that they do with him as well. And then, you know, catch up with Glasnow and Meadows. That'll be nice to see how Chris Archer integrates himself back into the clubhouse. I think that'll be uh, all very fun to watch. Definitely a lot of stuff and really looking forward to actually seeing it all happen so we can talk about what's happening as opposed to what might happen. Yeah, that's true. Uh, starting with Bree, uh, Bree, I wanted to ask you, are there any, um, if you've checked out what the current roster is, all the non-roster invitees that have come in, are there any players that have stood out to you as, as, as guys that you want to watch uh, in, in spring training and guys that are really, uh, that have stood out to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Aiden actually got me very interested in Kevin Padlow. So I kind of want to see what's going on with him. Um also, the whole catching situation, I'm, I'm not sure, Adam, if you have any idea, but do you think Mejia is going to be the second catcher? Or that's, Yeah, that's the way it seems like it's shaping up at this point. Um, I, believe, I think he has a minor league option left, so he doesn't necessarily have to, but I, unless they want to roll with Kevin Smith behind Mike Zunino yeah. at this point, I feel like Mejia is probably the, the best option for him. He's the only other, it's what, Zanino, Mejia, and... Ronaldo Hernandez in the 40 man. So that kind of helps mm-hmm. make the decision for him too, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm also very interested to see what they do with him because I believe the Padres were trying to try him out at other positions. So, and like the Rays need a really good defensive catcher because, you know, guys like glass now, like just those balls are really hard to block sometimes. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, uh, Evan, were there, were there any players that have stood out on the, uh, on the, on the roster, non-roster guys, minor league contract guys? I would just say, I would agree. I would say the catcher spot. I mean, I think that's a very questionable spot, maybe not with Zanino, but like just, we have young, two young guys that I guess kind of need to prove themselves in a sense, but um, kind of need to, they need to I guess, gel in with our team, but yeah, I'm excited to see um, how, who kind of gets that number two spot. If the number two spot, can like continue like can 
competes with Zanino at all for the number one spot. So it'll be kind of cool to see what's um what's going on with them three. I have well, I want to make sure Wilcox is on the is a non roster invitee this year, right? I hope he is. I don't believe so. No, I don't think he was on the. I don't think okay, he's on the I was list. Good. Yeah. Well, I know. I, well, I know that Taylor Walls is one of them. Um, I know Witherspoon. Yes. I'm pretty sure is one of them as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't know if I saw Witherspoon on there. Dang it! Those are two. Blake Hunt is though. I was surprised. I mean, I guess we need catchers, but. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I mean, you, I you really need... want to see. I really want to see Walls, but the catchers are. We need. I mean, we have like fifteen thousand shortstops. I mean, might as well get a catcher. <laughs> Yeah, Walls, Walls is on the forty man, so he'll he'll be there for sure. Oh, okay, uh, then, yeah, no worries. And then Blake, like you said, Blake Hunt is uh, he's on there. You need you need so many catchers just to mm-hmm. get through spring training. Like, yeah, it's kind of one <laughs> underrated thing is everybody's like, why are they bringing in all these catchers to camp? This happens like every year with every team. It's like you need somebody to catch all those early morning bullpens, and unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes it's just got to be the youngest catchers who are in camp. So yeah, probably a lot of probably a lot of that going on for uh, for Blake Hunt. But it's a super valuable learning experience to get that work mm-hmm. with. Uh, a whole new art, you know, a whole new group of pitchers and everything, and to to yeah. catch a glass now, and you know, then to go catch a, you know, a, a Waka or Chris Archer or somebody who has a little more experience yeah. <laughs> and can kind of guide young catchers in that regard. So, uh, I am curious: is um, what's it called? Is is uh, Joe Ryan and Strotman? Are they both on the? Are they both non-roster invitees? Ryan is non-roster, and I believe Strotman's on the forty-man. He's on the forty-man. He, okay. he was one of the Rule Five, wasn't he? Yeah. Rule Five protection. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I definitely want to see Joe Ryan because he's he's one of those guys that the front office has really pinpointed as like he's, you know, one of like the next budding pitching prospects that the organization has. So I'm really excited to see him. I've, I've heard a lot of good things about Stratman. Um, I know when we had John uh, John Vitas on, who is now actually working for the Twins. So I'm glad that he got a I'm glad that he got a, a job. He's uh, because of the stone crabs and all that stuff he ended up. But he went to uh, he's in Fort Myers now. He's working for the Twins. He's working for whatever the heck that the team is, whatever the single A team, uh, I don't know, it's changed so many times, but uh, yeah, no, he was saying some good things about Strotman. So I'm excited for both of those guys. I really wish, I mean, I know that Will Cox just got, or I mean, they ended up just getting him and I know he got drafted in, in the draft in 2020, but I really wanted to see him because I've heard a lot of good things about him because they basically said that he was a first round pick that they ended up giving, you know, um, or they ended up giving him first round money, but they ended up drafting him in the third round. And they said that his stuff was as good as Emerson Hancock. And I mean, Emerson Hancock was literally one of the best pitching prospects in base uh, com- coming into that draft out of Georgia. And I, and obviously Georgia's got a great program. So I really want to see him. And I don't know if he'll come up at some point in, in spring training, but I'm excited to see, uh, to see his stuff, but definitely walls and Strotman and, um, and Ryan, I'm all really excited about. So that's kind of the complicated part about this spring and how it's going to be so different is that, you know, the word is that minor league camp officially doesn't really start until this big league camp ends. So you're probably not going to see, you know, like in a normal spring training, you'll see these guys coming in with number 98, you know, no name on the back of their jersey to pitch the seventh inning or whatever, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a game on February 28th. Um, you're probably not going to see that this year just because the minor league camp won't start until uh, basically the start of the major league regular season. Um, So that part of it's going to be a little complicated. You won't get so many of the lower level prospect looks, um, but I think it is notable in that regard that they are bringing in a Shane Boz, a Joe Ryan, like you mentioned, guys that they probably want to have spend time with the big league coaching staff and getting looks from the big league front office um, just because it's going to be so complicated once minor league spring training starts and everybody starts going their separate ways and just the uncertainty there about when the lower level minor league seasons might start too. Mm. Um, 
I think it's really smart on their part to bring in some of those younger guys who, you know, haven't had game action in a little while, but they know are important and they know they want to see him. Uh, that's, that's another one that stands out to me. I should have mentioned with Shane Boz, but I figured with the Pirates connection, you guys would have assumed that I wanted to see Shane Boz. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask because because you were in Pittsburgh and obviously Boz was there. Did you get a chance to see him in the minors at all, or in or in spring training? Uh, spring training, I saw him a little bit, yeah, but never uh, never in a minor league game. I didn't travel a whole lot uh, covering the big league team, but I was there when he was drafted. I was there when he was introduced uh, after his uh, after he signed when he was in Pittsburgh and everything like that. Uh, they viewed him as a very important part of their future, <laughs> clearly for. Uh, however long that lasted um but really talented pitcher he's one of those guys that you know right after he joined the organization i heard a lot of good uh, a lot of good things about his stuff and uh, the arsenal that he has and it's one of those things that i found very funny when when he moved over to the rays and one of the first interviews that he did he was talking about how the rays told him that his spin rate was so good and that's something that you really got to capitalize on play to your advantage say you have a really good high spin fastball <laughs> he's like the pirates never told me that I'm like well that's confusing because i knew that he had a good a good spin rate on his fastball and he yeah. should have known that and i find it a little troubling that the pirates never got around to telling him that so uh it speaks to the differences between the two organizations at least what the pirates uh, how the pirates were running things compared to now and uh, i think the rays are very high on shane boss as well yeah i actually listened to another podcast that grass now did an interview on and they asked him about the differences between the like coaching like the pitching coaches over there and he said that basically with Pittsburgh, what they would do is they would have the coaches just tell them what worked for other guys that were having that issue rather than showing like statistics and analytics and stuff like that. And he said they were getting better when he left, but like it still wasn't anywhere near. And then he said when he went to the Rays, it was easier for him to buy in because there was like science and numbers that, I mean, he couldn't really argue with. So he was like, okay. Yeah, yeah it's exactly, it's exactly that. It's uh what I've, I've said in other different places is that it's a player centered culture with the Rays where they look at you and they say, all right, how can we make you better? How can we take the things that you do well uh, and maximize your strengths? Whereas the pirates under the previous regime got to the point where they were kind of an organization centered culture where they'd say, well, this worked for Francisco Liriano and don't get me wrong, like the success that they had from 2013 to 15 was viewed at the time as like a template for other smaller markets, but they kind of got stuck in their ways a little bit. Uh, had their one weird trick and they just kept trying to do it with uh, the, the pitchers that they bring in and players that they bring in, whereas teams like the Rays were kind of advancing beyond that and being a little more specific with their analytics and, and their data and everything that they had going on. It certainly worked to the benefit of Tyler Glass now. Yeah, uh, I did want to talk about another uh, uh, pitching commodity that uh, I know a lot of people are really, really interested as to see where he's going to end up. And that's obviously Luis Patino um, coming over from the Padres, obviously pitching in the major leagues in 2020, but before then not having not pitched above a ball. Where are we? Um, well, starting with Adam, where are we expecting Patino to be? in terms of um, uh, like, like how are we expecting him to get utilized in spring training? And then where are we expecting him to start uh, uh, to start at once the 2021 season begins? I would expect him to stretch him out like a starter or whatever their starters are going to look like uh, this season, you know, stretch him out to pitch bulk innings. And yeah, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he starts the season in AAA, just based on that relative lack of experience and based on the options that they do have ahead of him. It also gives them a little bit more time to work with him on, on stuff. I mean, he has all the talent in the world. The guy's arsenal is amazing. A big fastball, just a, a lot of really interesting pitches. And they love the, the makeup and the work ethic from what I understand about him. Really, really good kid. Um, somebody they're excited to work with. 
So I wouldn't be too surprised if he starts the season in AAA and then makes his way up into whether it's a bulk inning role or, uh, you know, to replace a starter or something along those lines. Um, but who knows if he comes out and really just pops at camp, then maybe he's a guy that they can't keep down. And, you know, if there's one injury, you never know how that could, could affect pretty much anything on the pitching staff. So I think he's definitely a guy who's going to contribute a lot this season. Uh, just not sure if it's going to be right away on opening day. Bree, what do you think about where Patino's going or what he's going to do in spring training and where he's going to start at the season? Pretty much exactly the same thing. I would be surprised if he started on the major league team unless he like really blew everyone out of the water in spring training because the Rays aren't a team that's going to rush their prospects because especially now there's no need to. So. And uh, Evan, how are you feeling about Patino uh, going in, going into spring training? What do you, what do you think that the Rays are going to do? Yeah, with him? I mean, I, I mean, I think there's like a one percent chance he starts off on the major league roster. Like Bree said, the Rays have a history of never rushing their prospects and I don't blame them. He's 21 years old. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily need to be on the big league squad immediately. He can take some time. Um, I think spring training is going to be huge for him, but um, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of, there's no rush. Um, I think he'll be on major league team sometime this year, but definitely not the start. So from one guy who we don't know if he, when he's going to be on to another guy, I did, even though we did mention Wander earlier, I did want to talk about Wander in terms of what we think is going to happen to him this season, because obviously it's extremely unlikely that he's going to be on the major league team. And he's probably, I mean, I know that he was most recently in terms of minor leagues. He was, he was most recently in, if I'm not mistaken in Charlotte, he might've been in Montgomery, but uh, where are we expecting him to be? Uh, it, at the start of this season and along with that what are we expecting the Rays to do with him especially in the field because I know that third base is really a place that a lot of people are tabbing him in is he's going to be there uh, with with Adamas still at short and obviously rumors uh, coming out that maybe the Rays might trade Adamas at some point because the Rays just seem to want to trade everyone at some point in their careers but uh, Adam starting with you what do you think that the, what do you think that the Rays are going to do with Wander in spring training? I, that's, I, I think you touched on really the big points there is where, where is he going to start? Um, you would assume, you would assume Durham, just if you kind of treat last year, like his double a year, even though he didn't actually play, he was at the alt site, uh, was around the big league team a fair amount. Um, he's just so advanced as a hitter. Um, can you go ahead and kind of jump him over double a off after last year? In that case, do you just go ahead and start him at triple a? Um, Probably. I mean, that would make the most sense to me, just so he's getting those upper level at bats. And also, so you know, he's getting them from the start. If, like I said, the minor league seasons, the lower levels start later, you don't want to really waste that month of development time for him. So maybe you start him in AAA in that regard, just to get him on the field. Because uh, I, I think there's 1% or less chance that he's breaking camp with the big league team. That just doesn't seem like a realistic possibility. There's going to be a stretch this spring, I guarantee it, where he goes seven for 11 over the span of three games. And we're all like, he's ready. Let's get him on the big league roster. It's time. Uh, but I think you have to take the long view of that and be smart about it. And he'll probably start the season in the minors. And then the most interesting thing to me is going to be what you said about whether they move him around because they are set with Willie Adamas uh, at shortstop for now. Whether they trade him or not, I don't know. Um, it depends on need and what what the request is. And the one thing you don't want to do is basically put the pressure on a prospect that like, all right, we've traded Willie Adamas. Now you have to be the guy. You have to fill that role. And it's going to be hard enough for a 20-year-old to find his way in the majors to begin with. So that would be probably too much pressure, uh, in which case maybe you move him around a third, move him around a second, um, give him that versatility so that if there is a need anywhere else, um, you can bring him up and, and fill a role in that way. Um, that, that would be my guess as to what they're going to do. Start them in AAA, move them around the infield a little bit. 
uh, just so they have options. And so when his bat shows that it's ready, you can come him up, uh, bring him up and kind of plug and plug and play wherever, wherever there's an opening. Mm. Uh, Bree, where do you think that, or what, how, how do you think that the Rays are going to use Wander in spring training? And, and where do you think he's going to end up to start the season? Yeah, I think he starts in triple A too. Um, I mean, pretty much the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he moves to third, especially because you've got Taylor Walls, who's probably ready to come up pretty soon. So, I mean, I think we'll see Walls before we see Franco on the team. So, I don't know. I guess I'm expecting him to start in AAA and then kind of move to third unless there's like a gaping hole elsewhere. And then, uh, Evan, how are you feeling about what's going to happen with Wander? Yeah, I think I think Durham's where he's going to be at the start of the season. Um, I mean, I, this might be my heart talk, talking over my head, but like I – I hope he starts at third and we don't trade Willie. Um, like, I mean, I don't know what that means for Wendell though. Um, will we trade Wendell? I don't know, but uh, yeah, like I said, I think this is my heart talking over my head. I hope, I think he's going to start at third, but um, cause it, it, it has been a while since we've heard any trade rumors for Willie that is, that was at least two or three weeks ago. I think those red, those, I think it was for the reds, mm-hmm. but um, it's been pretty quiet recently. And I don't know, maybe, if we would have traded him, we would have traded him already. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think he's going to be a third. Um, I hope we don't trade Wendell either, but that might happen if he's going to start at third. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I was curious, where does Walls fit into the situation now? Obviously, with him on the 40-man and him probably going to be on the team uh, quite, you know, I, I would say, um, earlier in the season than, than these other guys that we're talking about. Where does he fit into the equation? Where are we going to see him play in the field? How are we going to see the Rays utilize him? Adam, I wanted to ask you because, um, or I wanted to ask you first. Yeah, that's a great question because he's so good defensively from everything I've heard. Everybody loves the defense. Um, says he can basically, he can play ma- uh, major league shortstop right now. Um, whether or not he could hit and hold his own as a major league hitter, hard to say right away, but I mean, that's a valuable guy to have if you can, uh, play defensively above average at shortstop right away at, at his age in the majors. So uh, my guess would be that you, you try to bring him up in that role or as a utility type infielder, somebody who can, you know, come in late in games for defense at shorts. Maybe you try to expand his versatility as well. Uh, try him out at second and third as well. But when you have somebody who's so good at, at shortstop, I think you probably want to keep him there. Uh, Cause that, you know, it's the same thing with Willie Adamas. You don't move Willie Adamas around because he's already very capable and good defensive major league shortstop. So uh, I, I would, Taylor Walls certainly isn't going to take playing time away from from Wander Franco, but I think he's a guy who probably could hold down shortstop in the future if they do something with Adamus and potentially look to move him at some point, or if there's an injury. And that's another issue going back to the the jump in in schedule from 60 to 162 is that maybe you can't play these guys every day who played every day last year. Maybe you have to give them a little bit more deliberate time off, and in which case the raised depth is going to be a real benefit for them. Mm. Bree, do you think that there's going to be some sort of platoon if, if when Walls comes up, do you think that there's going to be some sort of platoon between him and Willie at, at shortstop? I mean, I think Willie's still going to be basically the everyday shortstop. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, just to give him a day off, I don't know if you can really call that a, in a complete platoon situation. But I, I think just every now and then, if you want to slot him in there, um, get him some at-bats, see what he can do, and give Willie a break, then, yeah. I, I'm a big Walls fan, so I'm excited to see him up love defense so uh evan how are you feeling about where where walls is going to fit into this team yeah i think he's a not every other day but maybe once a week kind of play um 
it is nice because I believe he is a switch hitter too, so he could pitch hint for Willie because Willie obviously hasn't been that good with the bat so far. But um, I mean, I don't really know how good Taylor Walls is with the bat either. But it's it'll be nice for matchups in terms of if they're righty pitcher. He could Walls could come in pinch hit for Willie and hit from the left side just for matchups as Kevin Cash loves his matchups. But um, yeah, I think we could. I mean, that's he's definitely going to be a big part in the future. Um, I don't know how much yet, but. We'll see about that. Yeah. All right. Well, I wanted to ask one last thing, I guess, about uh, this team. And then, Adam, I wanted to ask you some questions um, about your journalism career so far and obviously you returning back to the Bay. Uh, so, Evan, starting with you, how going into going into spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting, how are you feeling about this Rays team? Obviously, them adding McHugh and Hill, um, adding some other guys in there, uh, fortifying some things. How are you feeling about this team compared to where you felt about this team maybe like a month or two ago? Um, I mean, I li- I've I've always trusted the front office. I mean, yeah, it sucks losing Snell. Um, Morton's different because I think I don't think it was worth paying that much. But um, I don't know. I just you kind of been a fan for this team for so long that I've kind of liked this team regardless of what we did, just because of how many moves the front office has made that have not been the most fan friendly, but have worked out in the end. Um, so I've always liked the team going forward, but I do like it a little bit more now, just the pitching depth. Um, now we have a little bit more experience in the pit, in the rotation too. So I think, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to project any record or anything or standings, <laughs> but uh, I do think we're going to be back in the playoffs. And I think we're going to be better than people think we are like always pretty much, but um <laughs> Uh, Bree, how are you feeling about where this where this Rays team sits? I'm feeling great. I will not pretend I wasn't a little bit concerned after we lost Snell and Morton, but um, I mean, pretty much once we signed Archer, I was like, okay, we're fine. I he's one of my all time favorites, so I'm happy to see him back. And I think that you know, if he's really healthy, then he can do some big things for us. And especially having all those experienced guys, I know we're kind of banking on Glass now being like number one and kind of the leader but now that takes so much pressure off of him because I mean before he was that third guy or even if he wasn't third in the rotation he just third in leadership whereas he could all I don't know the pressure wasn't on him it was on Blake and it was on Charlie Morton and then suddenly it was going to be all him now now he doesn't have to really worry about that you know you have those other experienced arms that he can kind of feed off of that can even help him out so I think that'll be good. I saw a video of, I believe it was Rich Hill with the Twins, um, just kind of comforting one of their starters after he had a bad major league debut. And I don't know, I think that's so valuable for us because we have so many young guys in the rotation and on the staff. So I'm pretty excited. Um, one thing I don't think we touched on was the trade of Sluggers to the Angels, but- um, we, could, we could talk about that for a little bit. I didn't, I completely forgot about Aaron. Yeah, we can touch on that because that one, that one made me a little sad. But yeah, I was gonna say, did you did you like the move? I mean, it sounds like you didn't. So, <laughs> I mean, I didn't love it. Like, like, like Evan said, I trust the front office. I didn't love it because he was really good for us. He's a great bolt guy. Um, I know a lot of people on Twitter were talking about how it should have been Richards, but who knows? I don't know. I'm excited. I think we're pretty good to go. That's that's one of those tough moves where it's like if they could have signed Archer about a week later, then you mm-hmm. probably don't even have to make that move because that move was just yep. clearly to, to to move the the player off the forty man and make a spot for Archer. 
So yep. if you could have signed him a week later and then you put, <laughs> was it Poche, Torinos and, and Beeks on the 60 day mm-hmm. to, to start a spring training, you have three open spots for Archer Hill and, uh, and McHugh. And, but it, it, it makes sense to me. I, I certainly understand the, uh, the frustration to lose a good bulk guy. Cause as we're having this conversation about like, Oh, you need to collect a bunch of pitchers who can throw 80 to hundred innings. Like Slager's <laughs> very much was one of those guys. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that is a tough loss. That is the kind of depth arm that you like to, to preserve and keep if you can. Um, I think the argument for Richards in that case is basically just a little bit more swing and miss, maybe a little bit more of a track record. Um, you're putting a little bit more on luck and defense with a guy who gets ground balls and stuff and doesn't throw as hard. So I know they weren't happy about having to make that move. Like they were not excited to trade Aaron Slagers away, but I think it made the most sense and they needed the 40 man spot, but that's a good point. That's a, that's another depth arm that I think I even mentioned when I was like writing about this plan in the first place was, you know, you can pair Slagers with somebody and then all of a sudden Slagers is gone. So yeah. uh, that he, he definitely made sense to, well, to be a part of that plan. Yeah. But well, Adam, I was going to ask, do you think that it uh, like, what went into the decision-making, I guess, from your perspective for the Rays in terms of why, because a lot of people brought up Richards as a guy that they probably should have traded instead or that they wanted to see traded instead. Why didn't they trade Richards and why did they trade Slikers? Pretty much what I said about the, the strikeout swing and miss tendencies. And, you know, I think Richards is still a guy that they like. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the half season or a couple of outings that he made when he first came over to the Rays were really good. Yeah. And then last year, obviously, wasn't quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but they clearly saw something in him. He's a guy that they have identified that he has traits that they like and stuff that they really think can play up. Um, and he also does have the history of pitching multiple innings, kind of like Slakers, just with a little bit more uh, swing and miss and a little bit more strikeout stuff. Um, which I think just generally, if you're trying to project other than really just unique cases like a Yarborough or a Fleming, um, you want to kind of bet on stuff over um, ground balls and, 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 you know, defense and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I get that it's a frustrating move. And I like the fact that Rays fans care about the last man in the bullpen or something close to the last man in the bullpen. Um, but I, I think it's one of those things where they just wanted to, to make sure Richards had a spot on the staff um, and, Slagers was basically just the odd man out, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, uh, Evan, quickly, did you like that trade? Did you like uh, Slagers being traded? I, I was kind of indifferent about it. I mean, Slagers, like, I mean, he was good. I mean, he was, like, solid. He wasn't, like, a main part of the bullpen. Um, but, I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know enough about it, I guess, to kind of have a stance on it. It's just sad to see kind of a player, I guess, who was in the mix last year go and you hate to see like lose the pitching depth too so but yeah we'll see how it works out in the end mm, yeah all right uh adam one last thing before we talk ask some more questions about you so obviously you've only been on the beat for a couple of weeks now uh what sense have you gotten as to how you're feeling about this team going into the season because obviously on the pirate side of things when you were covering that team all of last year was just pirates fans saying tank for kumar the literally the entire season but uh now now on the raise beat uh what did you know coming into it and now having seen things play out a little bit how are you feeling about it yeah I think I have a lot of just sort of family connections and I was you know to the raise and a lot of my family are raise fans and everything and I backed up one during the world series and so seeing that team fall uh, is short just like so short so close uh really probably left the, the feeling in fans mouth that, Hey, you want to come back, you want to bring this team back and you want to come back better and build around this group. And then to see them 
uh, not pick up Morton's option, you definitely say, all right, well, what's going on here? And then to trade Snell, you say, all right, well, like, is this like really coming back? Are they going to try to defend the AL title there? Um, and then I think what they've done since then has just been a little bit reassuring in the sense that, yes, it is clear they have a plan. It is clear they want to contend this year. It does stink to lose those guys. Don't get me wrong. I think that's got to be tough, especially as um, popular as Snell was. And as much as he was kind of a homegrown guy you get attached to and as popular as Morton was in the clubhouse. I mean, I covered him for a year at the Pirates. He's one of the best people you'll ever meet in baseball. Um, that's a tough loss in the in the clubhouse. But it seems like they really have a plan here. And I think the way that they're attacking the pitching thing, which is going to be the biggest question for everybody in baseball, is really smart, and it's earning a lot of praise around the industry. Um, so that, to me, is reassuring as far as where this team is going to go. And still a great bullpen, still a lot of talent on the starting staff. We haven't even mentioned the lineup during most of this, and like you're going to get a full season of, of Randy. You're going to get a full season of Randy Rosarina, a, a hopefully healthy Austin Meadows. You know, Yandy Diaz. We'll see what they can get out of him. You're going to get Wander Franco at some point during the season. There's there's a lot of talent there, um, and I, I think the way that they have just continued to stockpile depth and talent on top of that leaves me feeling pretty encouraged as far as their chances of, of contending. I, I think I picked them to finish second in the division. You do these things before spring training when it's just like, I don't know, like we're coming off a shortened season. We don't, nobody knows anything right now, but I still see this as very much a contending team. Um, you know, we'll see what happens once they get through spring training and everything, maybe it'll change my mind, but it's still a team with a ton of talent. Uh, you know, they're, they're really good at, maximizing players' strengths and abilities. Kevin Cash deploys uh, players like nobody else in the game. And I think it's going to be a really interesting team to follow this year. And most importantly, we will see an MVP season from Brandon Lowe. I'm calling it now. I mean, I hope it happens. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be nice. <laughs> It'd be nice he, for me he, and Evan. Where did he finish in the in the voting last year? Was he, Ninth. Was he eight. Nine? Eight. Okay. I mean, he was like a front runner for like a month and then he just – Cool off. So I'm hoping he doesn't yeah. do the pool off part this year. <laughs> That'd be really nice. That's uh, a really good. That's a really good player who I'd like to see get a little bit more national recognition as well. Um, you should. Somebody who's probably not fully appreciated outside of the market. And then you you, you hate to see. I've said this before. Actually, I said this about. This is going to also date me. Will Myers in 2013 yeah. when he was oh, so good. I he was him. so good yeah. for the Rays as a rookie, and then he went to the postseason in that ALDS against the Red Sox. I, he was so he was so I, bad. I clowned. <laughs> yeah. I, I think on the on the Twitter account, I clowned him because I found the gift. Yeah. And I, see, I don't know if that was the bullpen that was the one who did. Because yeah. I thought it was, it was the, the bullpen. I think. Was it the it bullpen? Was, yeah. Because, yeah. I, but like, still, I mean, yeah. That was such a was, bad play. No, no, I was, yeah. Never forget that one. I was covering that game, and I will uh, never be able to not hear the Myers <laughs> chants from the people of Fenway Park. But the, that's oh. like that was his impression in the postseason. Then you hate to see Brandon Lau, yep. a player who's as good as he's been, get on that stage in October, and it's just like, what's wrong with Brandon Lau? And it's like, he's yeah. a good player having a bad stretch. So that's that's yeah. a guy who I'm sure is going to be hungry coming back into spring training as well after the postseason that he had. Yeah, I mean, he did have three home runs in the World Series, so at least you know, silver linings out of everything. Uh, he bundled them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it'd be, I mean, hey, hey, I got to take what I can get. I uh, I support the man. I mean, obviously, he went to Maryland, so it makes me a little bit happier as a human being. Uh, oh, yeah. Knowing, knowing, that, uh, <laughs> knowing that he went to the Terps. Um, uh, but, uh, Adam, so I wanted to ask some things about you. So, obviously, Clearwater, uh, born and raised. How did you get involved in journalism? You said that a lot of your family are Rays fans. Did you grow up a Rays fan? Did you grow up going to games? And then, obviously, how did journalism get uh, involved in the mix? Yeah, so I was growing up in Clearwater at a time when Tampa Bay didn't have a baseball team. Um, like in the early 90s, uh, 
I was like a mid nineties Braves fan because everybody was, uh, you know, we had the Braves on TBS every day and I like Ken Griffey Jr. Cause everybody liked Ken Griffey Jr. And still does like Ken Griffey Jr. Um, you know, and I was there for all of the Tampa Bay attempts to bring a baseball team to the market. Um, my grandpa has a hat, a San Francisco Giants hat because he thought it was going to be a collector's item because the Giants were all set to move to St. Petersburg. You know, we kind of lived through that whole thing. And then, then the Rays came to town and all of a sudden the Devil Rays came to town, I should say. And all of a sudden we had a baseball team, which, you know, I remember going to, I believe it was one of their first games. I think it was maybe the second series they ever played uh, going with my family and, you know, sitting in the, in the stands at the trop and everything and going back over time. Uh, one time I was able to sit like behind home plate in those seats. And I remember thinking like, oh, I, got, I got to meet Dick Vitale. Like, wow, that's really cool. He was you know, <laughs> the, the long time race super fan, obviously. Um, so definitely grew up around, around the game. Love baseball, loved uh, obviously all the local sports teams. Uh, my dad ran like a local sporting goods store. So, you know, the success of the teams was kind of like the success of our family sometimes. Uh, so when the Bucks won their first Super Bowl, that was a, a very good, uh, a very good time in the Barry household growing up. Um, and then the, the journalism part of it was uh, going to the University of Florida. Um, MLB.com used to have an internship program uh, where one of the editors would go around and interview students at different journalism programs around the around the country and uh, Bill Hill was his name he came to UF uh, it was the fall of 2009 spring of 2010 uh, he interviewed me and I probably gave some absolutely terrible interview about like why I wanted to be a sports writer or whatever and I was working at the alligator the student newspaper at UF at the time um, and I got an internship there started uh, you know you're assigned to one of 30 teams obviously I wanted to go home uh, so I you know, cover the raises and associate reporter, fancy word for intern, uh, that summer in 2010 with Bill Chastain, uh, the former great uh, raise beat reporter for MLB.com, just a wonderful, wonderful human being um, who covered the team for a really long time. Uh, so I did that. I think one of my first, within my first month, um, I covered Edwin Jackson's no hitter against the Rays. You'll see me reference that a whole lot. And I apologize for nothing because it's no. hilarious. Um, eight walks, six strikeouts. <laughs> eight walks, six strikeouts, and a hit batter. He had a, he had a whip of one and a no hitter, which I love. Um, <laughs> last year, last year I wrote a, an oral history on the tenth anniversary of that game. That was an absolute passion project just for me. Um, that's, that's absurd. Gotta, yeah, I think he threw and like then, 149 pitches too. Like it was just exactly like a stupid game. <laughs> exactly 149. That was actually really fun last year. Just going during the quarantine shutdown, we we're just looking for stuff to write and everything, and. I was like, what if they let me write about this game that I've been bothering everybody about for the last 10 years? And they did it. And I got to call everybody and talk to uh, talk to everybody about it. And that was fun. But yeah, I covered that, covered Matt Garza's no-hitter. That was such a good Rays team. I've said that team now feels like it happened a million years ago because I think there are six managers throughout baseball who are affiliated with that team at the time. Uh, there's a GM, or, or Sample came in the next year. So there's a GM that I covered as a player who's now you know, running the Phillies Baseball Operations Department with Dave Dombrowski. Uh, you know, being around the Rays at that time was just sort of such a transformational and, you know, informative process and way to get into the game because you're learning so much. You're seeing this team at the cutting edge so much as far as what they're doing and everything. Um, went back to school, graduated, and then MLB.com had me back for another internship covering the Giants in 2011. Uh, if I had to describe my luck in a brief sentence, it would be that I covered an odd year's early 2010s Giants team. So I did not get to cover the World Series. Um, <laughs> Oh, and then That's while rough. I was out there, <laughs> it was fun. It was a really interesting team. And being around a defending champion team was really fascinating too, mm -hmm. because you're going, you know, you're, it's just one year long victory lap. 
and there were so many interesting personalities on that team. That was Lincecum Kane, Bumgarner, Vogelsong came up that year as kind of out of nowhere success story. Pablo Sandoval, like so many fascinating characters involved. One guy that we're just not going to talk about. Absolutely not going to talk about. Um, And, you know, cover that team went full time out there and uh, moved back to Tampa for MLB.com in late 2011. I spent a lot of time around the trough. I spent a lot of time bouncing around different spring training sites. Um, basically just never said no to an assignment. Uh, covered a lot of Yankees rehab stuff. I spent a lot of time standing outside the Yankees Himes Avenue complex waiting for Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter to finish their rehab work. So I could try to, you know, yell at their car with the New York post or whatever as they drove on by. But uh, there's just, you learn a lot when you're around the game that much and you're bouncing around, you're getting uh, so much experience and so much exposure to different teams and everything. So mm-hmm. um, that was how I spent basically 12 through 14, spending most of my time around the race still, um, especially in 13, like I mentioned that year with uh, the playoff run and Will Myers is a rookie, Chris Archer is a rookie. Uh, you can look back and you can find a story online somewhere that I wrote um, about Chris Archer and Will Myers hung around the idea that they were the future of the franchise. Didn't quite pan out the way that I expected it to necessarily. Um, Chris Archer's back, so at least I was right in, in part of that. Um, yeah, then the Pirates, you know, you're, when you're in that role, you're looking for a beat opportunity to open up and uh, the Pirates beat uh, was set to open up during 2015 when my late great predecessor on that beat, Tom Singer, was ready to go back home to Arizona and kind of officially retire and take a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to cover the Pirates in 2015. That was their 98-win team and went to the wild card game, lost to, to Jake Arrieta and the Cubs. Uh, working alongside Tom, uh, was a really great mentor. Another, just nothing but tremendous people at MLB.com as far as the whole group of reporters and everything like that. So uh, that was a really wonderful experience. Tom passed away the next year um, and I took over the Pirates beat full time on my own from 16 to this past year, um, which is what brought me back home to, to cover the race for MLB.com. Now, had you covered baseball at all come going up to that internship? Had you covered baseball at Florida at all? You know, what's funny is I didn't. I took the track at the alligator that was, let's see if I can remember this, cross country was my first beat at the alligator at UF. Yeah, cross country to softball. Softball team is awesome. Like, I'm not kidding. Covering Florida women's softball is like one of my favorite things that I've ever done. I went to Oklahoma City to cover uh, the women's college world series. That's cool. And and they're really good, too. They're They're really good. And they're they're still good. They won what three two years ago or maybe last I year? Think so. We well, won baseball. Well, State well won. baseball team won a couple years ago. Maybe that's baseball team won in seventeen. 17. I remember Florida. Florida beat Michigan a couple years ago. I remember We're just because everything. Have yeah. you seen the yes. rankings for this year? I mean, <laughs> and everything's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so that's what's actually funny is I didn't cover baseball. I did softball to volleyball to men's basketball and then the internships and came back as uh, spring football. I worked at the Tampa Bay Times. It was the St. Pete Times back then, um, yeah. covering Hillsborough County preps and stuff like that. With okay. it's actually it's really funny to see the group that we had at the time in, in Hillsborough County was Ed Encina, um, who now covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times, Joey Knight, who now covers the Bucks, and recently had a video go super viral uh, with Tom Brady and a state of mind. 
um, after the wait, Super Bowl parade. Who wait, which who wait, which video was it? Was it the one of you know the one? No, I I, I know yeah, no, but there's avocado. like no no oh wait so it was that one that he got fan- oh i thought that he i i thought that it was going to be one of the ones where it was he was throwing the trophy and i was like there were like three different <laughs> angles of it so like pick which one it was <laughs> no no he was uh he was the one who had him stumbling in trying to uh, find a that's a, yeah. oh, that, oh that's an iconic that video yeah so that was that was our group then working at the same Pete times was joey knight oh. and ed and i got to you know learn from those guys like that's the thing. It's really neat. Again, part of moving back to this is there's so many familiar faces in the, you know, just sort of the Tampa Bay media scene that I'm excited to get back and work with and everything. And so many people have helped me along the way. I mean, that I, you gloss over like the career path to get you here and you're leaving out just so many people at every single stop who've meant so much and uh, excited to, to get back down there and see a lot of those people and work with them again. Did you ever have intentions of, well, so, so when you ended up going to Pittsburgh, was that, I mean, that was just seemed like it was just an open opportunity for you to want to go there, but was there ever an intention for you to want to come back to, to the Tampa Bay area? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we've loved Pittsburgh and we loved our time here and honestly covering the Pirates was a lot of fun. Uh, met a lot of wonderful people here. I met some of my favorite people in the game um, covering this team and I'm sitting here in a house that we bought in Pittsburgh. So clearly we were set on being here for a fair amount of time, but then yeah, getting back home to Tampa was definitely always a goal for me and my wife. Um, her family's down there. Uh, my family's down there. I have like little nieces that I can't wait to see on a more frequent basis and everything once we're safe to be around people on a regular basis again. Um, so yeah, getting back down there, whether it was covering the Rays or, or doing something along those lines was, was kind of always a goal for us to, to get back home. Yeah, I was going to ask, so, so, oh, wait, Evan, my bad. I got it. I, I'll go, I guess. Um, So when you were covering the Pirates and you were kind of covering that the huge Chris Archer deal, did you realize how bad it was at the time or no? <laughs> like, like, no offense, but like, did you realize that or no? I'm not offended by it at all. I didn't know uh, the um, <laughs> I... I, I knew that I knew that Austin Meadows was going to be good no matter where he was. And I think mm-hmm. the Pirates knew that at the time, too. They kind of knew that, all right, you know, you're giving up a really good player in Austin Meadows. And I think it was when I found out that Shane Boz was the player to be named later that I was like, mm-hmm. this, uh, <laughs> this really this really tilted some kind of way. Um, <laughs> Like, how good was Chris Archer? I don't remember him being that good, but... <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. it, it, it reflected... He was experienced. That's, yeah, exact, that's it yeah. and he, at the time he was a 200 inning strikeout guy he had always at his worst he had been like a 200 inning high strikeout league average era type of pitcher that was at his worst and the pirates yeah. were still kind of in their you know hubris phase where they thought they could fix anybody and they could you know get the most out of anybody and that trade I, i've said this before i think i probably wrote it at some point that trade just revealed a lot of their flaws um, as far as the way that they weren't properly developing and getting the most out of prospects like Blas now, um, the way that they were overvaluing club control uh, with Archer's contract that they got back. And then obviously they wound up declining a different front office, declined the front op- the, the club option, which shows a lot about the club control and what you're getting when you, uh, when you make a trade based around that. Uh, and then just sort of their misevaluation of pitchers. Um, and I think that all really kind of came through in the Archer trade and they also weren't getting a fully healthy version of Chris Archer. I mean, that guy was never hurt. He was never on the injured list. I talked to him about that the first time he got injured uh, with the Pirates. Is that earlier in that year with the race, the first time he'd ever been injured. So he's learning how to deal with that, learning how to you know come back from that, trying not to rush back, how you're, how you compensate with your body and your delivery and everything. Um, the Pirates definitely did not get the best version of Chris Archer, needless to say. And 
they just misevaluated Glasnow, I think, and they, they gave up on him way too early um, because, you know, even if he's not the ace or even if he doesn't turn out to be everything that you dream that he's going to be, he's still a really good young yeah. pitcher and starting pitcher, and they banished him to the bullpen by that point. So yeah. I didn't know it was going to turn out to be quite the steal that it was, but it was very clear on that day that, like, the Rays were going to win the trade in the long term, no matter yeah. what, even if the Pirates won the short term, which they – they did not. Uh, it, it was very, it, it was very clear the race were going to come out on the right, on the right end of the long term. Do you consider yourself as part of that trade now? Because <laughs> because because now you're on the race beat. They, have you thought about that at all? No, I got a lot of that uh, when I think I announced that the, the beat change and everything. There was a whole lot. Uh, I talked about this with Juan when you announce like a change like that, you get a whole lot. Like I'm, I'm sure there are so many tweets coming in. Like Juan and I said, it was like attending our own funerals. Just like <laughs> so much like happens yeah. at that point. There, but there are a lot of uh, a lot of that, a lot of jokes about that trade. And then Archer came back. That that to me is kind of the, the funniest That's part of funny. all this is that <laughs> Archer gets traded there, and he knew, you know, he remembered me and knew me from uh, our time in Tampa Bay before that. And then he gets traded there, and all of a sudden he's coming right back. So it's pretty funny how it works out. <laughs> but when I'd moved to when I'd gone to Pittsburgh actually in 15 um there were familiar faces from the Rays because Sean Rodriguez was there oh and yeah I covered him I had covered him before and then in 16 Matt Joyce John Jaso and then at one point I think Yakin Ben no that was 17 Yakin Benoit showed up so it's just like I could not escape the 2010 Rays <laughs> until like last year I think it was <laughs> not a bad team to be stuck around Right. And hell, I'll tell you what, a familiar face always helps in the clubhouse. Not that we're going to be yeah. in clubhouses this year, but you know, when you're around a team. Yeah. So you covered a lot of, uh, I would say pretty big name people. And I know, I know that both Kutch and Garrett Cole were there in Pittsburgh while you were there at least for a time. And obviously Longo was there with the race. How was it like covering all three of those guys in your respective um, in those respective uh, teams and regions? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, Longoria was just so obviously the face of the franchise. I'll start with him just chronologically. And yeah. one of the things that I find interesting about a franchise player is that you can just kind of tell when they say something, it matters, not just within the clubhouse, but I think to fans as well. Like the old joke in the Yankees beat was always that like the two most valuable words you can put in a story are Jeter said, like, cause that's all people want to hear is they just want to hear what does Derek Peter have to say about this or whatever. And it's not necessarily the same level with a, a Longoria or an Andrew McCutcheon, but I think their words carry weight. Um, and you kind of learn that just as far as the behind the scenes part. And then as far as covering them as players, I think the thing that stands out is just consistency. I mean, Longoria was so good day in and day out, and maybe it didn't always show up necessarily like it did in game 162, but he was just always there. He was always making, you know, a big play. He was always there in the field. Um, you know, you respect the guys who show up and they post uh, as consistently as he was able to do. And I think it was really fun to kind of see, it's really fun when you see guys kind of grow up as, as people as well. Um, you know, and Longoria was a guy who grew up into somebody who started a business in Tampa and, and everything along those lines, started a family. I, I think it's really fun and kind of fascinating to see people grow up and kind of become leaders in the clubhouse going from, you know, young stars to, to leadership type figures. And that was certainly what I saw with Longoria or is with Kutch in 2015, I, I very much inherited like the, you know, full grown, matured, star you know he was he'd already won an MVP at that point uh, such a dynamic player he was another one of those guys that whenever he said something you knew it mattered um, not just to clubhouse but really to the city of Pittsburgh as well uh, he was such an important figure uh, for that team and that franchise and what he meant in 2013 when they snapped the 20-year losing streak like that was really um, really honestly it's really a privilege to be able to cover that part of his career I think in 2015 and then unfortunately the next two years I covered a little bit of a step back for him 
which is weird in a lot of ways. You know, to write the story about this guy seeming mortal all of a sudden is uh, really unusual. But the thing that stood out to me about Kutch in that regard is just how well he handled it. He was always himself. He was always a stand-up guy. He was always there. He would always, um, you know, ask you how you were doing, uh, things along those lines. So uh, I, I thought Kutch is, Kutch is one of the better people I've covered in addition to being one of the better players I've covered. Garrett, I didn't get as much time around, um, obviously. And, you know, you saw him at his peak in, in 15. He was so much fun to cover then. He was so good, so young, and it just seemed like he had the world in front of him, which he did, just not with the Pirates. Um, in 2016, he was kind of injured. And one thing that stood out to me, um, which is what I find interesting about Glasnow in a way now, is that Garrett was very young when he took on the role of player rep uh, for the Pirates. That's so much responsibility that I don't think people realize behind the scenes, especially when things are weird. Uh, when you're having a weird season like Glasnow last year with everything that the, the team had to deal with as far as the COVID restrictions and the, the health and safety regulations and everything that he had to deal with and manage and communicate to the team. Uh, and Garrett was that way. And I think that was kind of when it clicked to me that, hey, this guy might be something special beyond just the pitcher that he is, is the way Garrett handled so many of the issues that he had uh, faced with the Pirates in that regard. Um, that was the year that we had, a, we had a trip to Puerto Rico canceled due to the Zika virus. Like there were just so many unprecedented circumstances at the time, he thought, that he had to deal with and he handled so well. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, you, you see guys behind the scenes, you see them in so many different lights, um, in addition to who they are on the field and what they mean to the teams. It's just sort of what they mean in the clubhouse to me is always what stands out about kind of star level players, I think. And um, I think this is going to be my last question, but if you guys have any questions, feel free to ask them. Uh, how is it like coming back to the beat, coming back to Tampa Bay uh, to cover the race? How, you know, obviously you talked about, when you left Pittsburgh, it was like watching your own funeral happen when it came to the messages and stuff like that. How was it like when it came to people welcoming you back, welcoming you back to the beat, any well wishes and messages that you received? Just how, how has that been so far? Really cool. I mean, that's really just the, the most simple way to say it is that it, it really means a lot. And I know that I'm not like the most entertaining person on Twitter. And I promise I will be more when I'm not also trying to move and like figure out my job and meet people on Zoom <laughs> and everything. But you realize like just what a big, part of this, this is going to sound arrogant but like what a big part of people's lives you are in a way and that you're kind of walking through this big part of their lives you know a baseball season with them and uh, I think that means a lot and I mentioned this before we got started here but I think it's really cool to see the way the Rays fan base has grown especially online and especially from the younger side I think it's just really neat the passion that people have for it um, yeah, for the team and then for the for the game as a whole it's been really neat um, just to to see that and see the involvement and some of the messages that I've gotten, I, again, I couldn't even keep up with everything when the, the change went down. Like if people sent a tweet, like I wasn't ignoring you. I literally couldn't keep up with everything. It was insane. <laughs> also, that was like a new, that was like a, a day where there was a bunch of news too. So I was still having to like write and everything um, as this is all happening and trying to you know, talk to Juan about everything. It was, it was a really crazy day. Um, but seeing some of the messages too, from like fans who were around before and following the team and said, Hey, you used to work with Bill Chastain. And that, I mean, that means a lot. And then, the messages from you know people who work around the team, um, people who were there when I was when I was there before have been really cool. I've been welcomed back really with open arms. The Rays are a great team to deal with uh, as far as what I do, as, as far as you know the, the communication and everything along those lines, and you know the fellow people in the media. Like I say that like I grew up reading Mark Topkin, and then like I worked with them, and then the fact that like we're going to be basically the only two beat writers covering the team on a daily basis. Uh, he's been super helpful, super great. Um, especially as weird as this year is going to be from an access perspective. Uh, it's really, really cool to be around uh, working with him again and just basically everybody around the team. It's, it's been a lot. It's been a lot to keep up with and a lot to, to try to keep track of. But 
uh, it's really meant a lot, just sort of the warm welcome from from Rays fans and including you yourselves. I, I did respond to your tweet when you said you have to come on the podcast, and I definitely wanted to do that because I really appreciate people who have an interest in what we do and want the perspective of the people who are around the team every day. So it means a lot. Yeah, Thank I have one so more much. question too. Um, like covering a team, you become – do you become like – very attached to that team like do you become a fan per se and it, or, and if you do is it hard to move on like from that team and join another team so that's probably one of the biggest sort of misunderstandings of what we do is that everybody just well the, the three are that like everybody thinks that you work for the team which I do not and everybody thinks that you're a fan of the team which I am not uh, even if I grew up a, a fan of the team or whatever once you get involved in it you just do kind of start to lose those allegiances you don't root mm-hmm. for teams maybe you root for people maybe you're, you definitely root for stories uh, but you don't necessarily have an interest in the outcome or anything along those lines. You definitely grow attached to people. Like there were people that it was really hard to say goodbye to uh, with the Pirates beat. And I'm sure there, you know, there were people it was hard to say goodbye to when I left the race the first time. Um, so it's not so much cheering for outcomes or cheering for teams or cheering for players. Sometimes you cheer for people and you definitely cheer for stories along those lines, but yeah, you do grow attached and you grow used to stuff. Like, uh, one thing I, I think Juan and I have talked about in these transitions is it's like when you write a story for the first time about something that would have been just so off the top of your head covering the team that you used to cover it's like there's so much more research like I got to study the 40-man roster like I've got roster spreadsheets and stuff that I could have just told you off the top of my head with the Pirates even as much as it's changed there and you're thinking who do I call for this who do I ask about this so it's it's a big transition uh, in that regard just certainly not not from a, a perspective of, of attachment but just from familiarity I think. Yeah, I actually have one more question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the Pirates. Well, this, is like, this is like one of my interviews with the players. <laughs> oh, wait, one more, one more, one more. Yeah, less, no, no, one more. All right, one more, one more for me. Just one more for me. <laughs> but, like, the Pirates have not been good recently. And um, so how do you keep the fans entertained on a not a good team? Like, how do you keep them? Oh, it's so much fun to, to cover you? bad teams. So much fun. <laughs> it's, it's. That's sort of the old sports writer cliches that you want to either cover a really good team or you want to cover a really bad team. Yeah. The, the hardest teams to cover are the mediocre ones because like today they were good, tomorrow they're going to be bad. And then it's just all going to come out in the wash in the end. Um, it's just writing what's happening and trying to find the interesting stories and try to explain why the things that are happening are happening, I think. Um, and I don't necessarily know if we did a great job of that with the Pirates in the end because it wound up being that they just cleaned house um, but even with the Pirates last year, I just tried to give a perspective on who people were to the extent that we could. I wrote a lot about um, the GM and who he was and what his goals were coming in. I wrote a lot about I wrote a big feature about Derek Shelton, um, the new manager coming in, former Rays hitting coach. Um, and just trying to explain his personality because the way that I view beat writing is basically you're, you're writing a season-long book and every game, every event, everything is a chapter of that. So you're just trying to keep people entertained who are along for the ride. Um, and you know what, sometimes people tune out and that's fine. Like I get it. Like I'm, you know, I'm a fan of Florida football too. So like if, when they were bad, like I didn't need to read the game story the next day, like I didn't necessarily need to read. So I, I completely get that part of it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just doing, doing the job of the best, you know, the best that you're able to and understanding that sometimes people are going to shoot the messenger. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes you have to deal with that, but yeah, I'm definitely excited to cover a team that has, I think it's more coming in, being excited to cover a team that has aspirations of contending because mm-hmm. uh, then at least everything is set up against that barometer. You're saying, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. even if even if they lose and it's saying, why didn't this happen? Why didn't they reach the expectations that they had? As opposed to a team coming in knowing like, well, this probably isn't going to work out all that well, but 
hopefully in four or five years we'll, we'll figure it out so yeah yeah well we all loved Juan but I think you seem to be the right guy for the job so we're excited to have you and go Gators of course <laughs> I appreciate that well Juan was great I, I do want to give a shout out to Juan here and I don't know if you're going to listen or anything but Juan was great I remember when he when he came on like one thing I've said about MLP.com is that we do such a good job of bringing on good people for the most part um, and there's really kind of a pay it forward thing where I you know people mentored me Bill Chastain and Chris Haft and all these Brian Hoke and all these other people mentored me along the way that you really want to try to reach out and play or play a part and help the, the people who come after you as well. So I, I can remember at the 2018, 2018 all-star game, whatever it was, the one in Cleveland, uh, like meeting Juan for the 2019, all right, you know, meeting Juan for the first time. I'm like, Hey, let's go out to lunch. and Let's just talk about this job and like the way that you're doing it. And if you have any questions or anything along those lines and Juan has become a very good friend in the time since then. So I'm super happy for him. I think he's going to do such a good job covering the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, it's a big market. Juan's going to go all Hollywood on us and be so famous. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but he's certainly been busy over the last couple of weeks. That's one thing I found yeah. to be kind of funny about all he's this. He's been very uh, busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he actually, he hopped on a Zoom call with us for when we first decided yeah. to get this going. He hopped on a Zoom call with us, not even for an interview, just to kind of like, you know, kind of just give us some encouragement and talk to us. <laughs> so that was really cool. So. Yeah. 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 You know, he was, was really nice. Uh, but yeah, no, we're really, really excited to have you on the beat. We're really, really excited to follow what you're yeah. going to do. Uh, for those that haven't, or for those that don't follow you on social media, where can people follow you, where you're going to put out your work, all that stuff? Yeah, right now, I'm just as far as work goes on Twitter at Adam D. Barry, B-E-R-R-Y. Uh, probably going to start a work Instagram page at some point here. I had one very briefly with the Pirates and then just like deleted it at one point because it was spring training and it's like how much do people need to see these workouts from 45 feet away or whatever it was that I was doing and, uh, but I'll probably start one at some point here once we get going uh, as soon as we're at a point where you can actually take pictures that aren't just here's the view from the press box again because that's where we spent all of last year um, but yeah work Twitter is at Adam D. Barry which is where you can follow me all right well uh, Adam, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Again, best of luck. Obviously, you're already well acquainted with the race beat because you've been on it before. So this is just another, this is, this will be 2.0, 3.0, I guess, if you want to consider it 3.0, because you have that little blip in between 2010 <laughs> and 2012. So I guess, I guess we can call it 3.0, but, uh, again, uh, we can't, we can't wait to read what you're going to do. And we're really, really excited for it. And everyone listening, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Uh, if you guys don't follow us and all that we're doing, we're expanding way too fast, too quickly, but it's okay. Uh, we just started up a Twitch channel. It's raise the roof TV, all lowercase. We just started up our YouTube channel, which hopefully this will be on soon. It's just raise the roof. If you don't follow us on Twitter, we're at raise the roof TV, the RTRTB are all capitalized. And on Instagram, we're at raise the roof TV, all lowercase. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns about, about what we're doing about the podcast, anything that we're doing, make sure to uh, email us. It's raise the roof TV at gmail.com. Uh, we'll make sure to respond back to you guys as quickly as possible about this. Uh, and for this podcast, you guys can follow us. We're on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcasts, all that good stuff. Mostly where, you know, where podcasts can be found, we'll be there. Uh, so from all of us, stay safe, stay healthy. Please wear a mask and raise up. Yeah. Thank you Adam for coming on and raise up.